Welcome to the Rich Room Podcast. I'm your host, Lindsay Sobel. Where you can master the art of enriching your life. What kind of kindergarten shit is this? And finding a path to financial freedom. Who the fuck was supposed to teach me how to do my taxes? So sit back, relax, and step into the Rich Room. You know I can't help these cause they know they can never touch these. So baby, let me talk my shit or I might just go another feed. Welcome to the Rich Room Podcast. This is a very, very special episode of the Rich Room because this is the 10th episode of the motherfucking Rich Room. I've been writing, producing, performing, editing, and crying for the past 10 weeks. I started this podcast journey in September 2022, and then I launched my first episode in September 2023. And here we are. 10 weeks later, still going strong. We have a new intro. What did y'all think of that? I'm growing, y'all. It's only up from here. And I'm having a real good time doing it, too. It's been a steep learning curve, though. But not as steep as the lawyer learning curve, which no one tells you about. That is a doozy. There needs to be like an apprenticeship aspect of being an attorney to make sure it's what you want to do with your life before you make that major investment into law school. But maybe then we wouldn't have any lawyers. Just kidding. Well, kind of, not really. Like I had never worked in an office until I started working for a law firm. Law firms are dramatic as fuck. Big egos, big feelings, big turnover. I read an article the other day, and by article, I mean I watched a TikTok video. I've been real TikTok resistant. I post videos to promote the podcast, but I rarely scroll through the feed at all. That's how I knew I was getting older. I was like, there is no way I'm going to learn a new technology. And now we have threads, and Twitter is now called X. And how come it seems like the only accounts that start following me on Instagram are porn accounts? Big mistake clicking on that story. The article referenced the sentiment being perpetuated that people don't want to work anymore because they're leaving jobs every two years or so. Well, back in the day, there wasn't a lot of options for jobs and really the only way to get promoted or get a raise or get a pension was to stay at the same job for many years. And that doesn't really apply today because there are so many other jobs that offer better pay, that offer better opportunity, and they have more interesting things to learn. You're lucky if you get an office pizza party these days. I think I'm gonna look into getting self-defense classes. I've never been in a fight before, but I think I would do pretty well. I'm pretty scrappy. It would be nice to learn how to defend myself from a physical attack, though. I mean, I am a single woman in 2023. Y'all, 10 fucking episodes. I give it a 10, a fucking 10. That's from Varsity Blues. I feel like Gen X and millennials live their lives by movie quotes. Well, at least me and my siblings do. Today, there's just so much programming out there. So many streaming services, so much content, so little time. I'm real excited because I'm going to New Orleans next week uh, for a Bon Voyage part two. I'm going to see two drag queens named Katia, Trixie and Katia. 
Trixie Mattel, who appeared on Salt Lake City Housewives this season. I'm really, really, really excited, but I don't know what to wear. I got a few things working on up in the ticker, but I'm not really sure what I'm going to wear. I'm really proud of my silver outfit that I wore to my Bon Voyage Part 1 to see James Kennedy. DJ James Kennedy, that is. It was Alice and Olivia. I'm very proud of that. But no one tells you how hard it is to walk in sequin pants. Um, because if your legs rub together at all, then the sequins are going to catch on each other, and then it's just a whole fucking mess. And you're getting caught all night long and then having to delicately unhook yourself. It's a real humbling experience. I'm not sure what to wear, but one of the options that I'm thinking is this, like, pants and shirt silk set. It's, like, real, it's like dark green. And I'm thinking that I would leave it like the front unbuttoned and wear like a body chain. Can I pull this off? We shall see, I guess. I'm gonna have to tape my titties up to my ears, but it will be fine. I've got some real good, strong tape. To take it off, I have to heat up the glue on the tape or else it will rip my skin. No fucking joke. I'm not exactly sure where I'll be staying yet, but it sure as shit won't be an Airbnb. I think Airbnb has hit its peak, honestly. It's too expensive, not really regulated, and you really never know what you're dealing with. At least with a hotel, you're dealing with a business, with people all around you, but hotels need to upgrade their towels, or at least start including microfiber towels. I can't dry off my precious curls with the sandpaper you call a towel. I'm pretty sure we lost a few listeners after last week's episode. Never underestimate the power of WAP. Y'all, pray for Jeff Lewis. I hear he's gone off the deep end again and fired someone else. And I'm hearing it was his producer, Jen Green. Like, didn't she work on flipping out as well? Oh, Lord, and I saw Heather McDonald post about Krista's earrings costing $3,000 instead of $10,000. Like, who fucking cares? People are dying, Kim. Y'all need to stop fighting amongst yourselves and be funny. I don't know about y'all, but I like a little wave if I let someone go in front of me in traffic, like walking or driving. So there was a new episode of Southern Charm this weekend. There was a very wholesome scene with Taylor's family. Her grandparents were there, her parents were there, and her brother was also there. Taylor's dog Penny was in heat and therefore had to wear a diaper. So Taylor's brother was like, what's wrong with Penny? And Taylor's mom is like, oh, she's on her period. Did we not have that talk with you? And he's like, no, no, you didn't have that talk. Parents, don't be afraid to have the sex talk with your kids. I, too, had to have the sex talk with my daughter. And I also did not have the sex talk. And look how that turned out. I mean, it turned out great, obviously, but, like, teen pregnancy is hard. Oh my god, I was so worried about my daughter starting her period. Man, this shit was back in the day. I had to order a freaking DVD to tell me how to explain to her what was happening to her body. I was so fucking stressed about it. But it actually all went fine. Even the sex talk went fine. The problem that I had was figuring out the right moment to do it because I didn't want to jump the gun and bring it up before it was necessary. But then I was like, how do you know? Well, Snapchat. Snapchat is how I knew. I don't really use Snapchat like at all anymore. I really haven't in years. I used to like it because you could see people's locations. 
Sometimes I'm a nosy bitch, but as of late, I don't give a fuck. Well, back then, I followed my daughter on Snapchat. I was sitting in my office in downtown New Orleans, taking a break from making people cry, scrolling through Snapchat, seeing all the funny videos, and then up comes my daughter's Snapchat story. And there was a post on her public story that concerned me. And it wasn't sexually explicit or anything. It was just a picture of a wall with written text, and the text referred to something related to sex. My stomach dropped into my butt. I was like, fuck. Okay, this is it. Here we are. So I texted my daughter at school, and I told her to delete her Snapchat story because she obviously meant for it to be private and accidentally posted it to public. And I told her that we would talk about it later. And then I told her that I loved her because I was really worried about her thinking I was mad about her inadvertently posting something suggestive. And I wasn't mad at all. I just wanted to protect her. And I also didn't want her to feel ashamed. So I was still at work, but I knew that the time had fucking come for the talk. And I had no plan, right? I was like, how the fuck am I going to do this? So I did a little Googling and found my preferred angle to start the sex conversation. I knew that I had to make a stop on my way home and buy a double barrel bottle of my preferred Pinot Grigio at the time made by Cabot. There was no way in hell I was going to have the sex talk without a little liquid courage. No fucking way. So I get home from work, double barrel of Cabot Pinot Grigio in tow. I get like a glass, a glass and a half in me. We sit down on the couch and I begin with my newly found Google recommendation on how to talk to your teen about sex. And I say, so I think it's time we have the sex talk. And I'm sure you've heard lots of different things from your friends or movies and most of it's probably incorrect, but you go ahead and tell me what you know about sex and I'll help you fill in the blanks or correct any misinformation. She then proceeded to tell me scientifically and medically accurate information about the mechanics of sex. When I tell you I was shocked, I was shocked. I was thinking to myself, where the fuck did you learn this? And then I said, you know what? That is actually exactly how sex happens. Um, what else do you know? And then she just casually says, Oh, well, I know that there are like 10,000 nerve endings in the clitoris. My jaw hit the floor. And then I pulled out a pen and paper and started taking notes. Um, how many did you say? I told her that she could come to me whenever she did start thinking about sex and I would support her and get her on birth control. She looked at me and she goes, no offense, mom, but I don't want to have a baby as a teenager. I was like... Me too, honey. Me too. I'm far too young to be a grandmother. Can you even imagine? I cannot. So the sex talk was a success. But it's very important. So to my parents out there, don't avoid the sex talk. You'll most likely know when the time is right to talk to your kid about sex. Just make sure to follow them on Snapchat. There may be better methods out there, but I feel like my approach worked well. I've been feeling kind of down lately, and I reached out to my friend Natalie, who reminded me that I needed to take my own advice. She told me that I needed to enjoy the process and stop worrying about the future because it doesn't help with anything, and she's right. 
We have to celebrate those wins every day, even the small ones, especially the small ones. I think when I emerge from this healing period, I don't think I'm going to wear makeup anymore or like a lot less than I used to. I've been hit on slash flirted with like four times in the past few years, which is a lot considering I was in a relationship for six years up until April of this year. And all four times, I wasn't wearing a lick of makeup. The first time I was flirted with, I was running in downtown New Orleans in the morning before work. I was running a three-mile run, and I was all hot, and my face was all red. And as Candace Dillard would say, I got white people red. Like, my face looked like a full-on fucking tomato. And as you can imagine, when I'm on a three-mile run, I'm full-on red. Also, at the time, I was engaged, so I wasn't open to any callers at all. Anyways, so I was running down Poydras Street in New Orleans, and this guy passes me on a bike, and we make, like, cursory eye contact and pass each other. All of a sudden, I see him coming up on my left side of his bike, and I take out one of my AirPods, and he asks for my number. And I was like, oh my gosh, I cannot believe this is happening. And I was like, I'm engaged, and I probably held up my hand like a fucking tool. And I was like, but if I wanted, I would say yes. The next three times all happened within the last few months. One was Beachkin that I discussed on a previous episode, who stopped me on my morning walks on the beach to flirt. And he asked me if I woke up like this. And the answer was yes. Then there was a guy at the UPS store the other day who was full on flirting with me, but again, not a lick of makeup on. And then there was Airport Ken. Well, I actually met him on Bourbon Street on a Saturday afternoon when I was in New Orleans for my Bon Voyage, part one. And then I randomly saw him in the airport when I was leaving for New Orleans. And we did a little flirting before we both had to catch flights. My point is, I wasn't wearing makeup for any of these times, and it's really hard for me to reconcile. I've spent most of my adult life trying to mold myself into what I thought would be attractive to somebody else. And now I'm like, not really trying at all. My therapist says I'm giving off a different vibe, which is a good thing, I guess. So a new episode of Salt Lake City aired, and this season is pretty good, I gotta say. In this episode, we see Whitney's daughter's 13th birthday party at a roller skate rink. I want to go to a roller skate rink. It would be so fun to get a roller rink outfit. Are there any of those in Miami? I'm going to find out. So we're at this 13-year-old's birthday party, and Whitney's daughter got a fucking golf cart as a present. I really want a golf cart now. I was walking on my street the other day, and I saw that my neighbors have a golf cart. I would love to get all tricked out in my golf cart and run these streets. I could bring my elderly neighbors to their doctor's appointments. Shit, I could almost do my own delivery service. I call it on the go ho. So there's this phrase, and I'm sure everyone has fucking heard of it. And it's a phrase that I heard a lot when I was in law school and when I started my litigation career. Fake it till you make it. Now, normally you would want to take advice from someone who had forged the path before you, but I feel like fake it till you make it feeds into that imposter syndrome that so many of us have. I absolutely had imposter syndrome when I started practicing law. My first job was very, very stressful and almost took me out the game for good. I was on a phone call with opposing counsel and I like lost my vision or something and it felt like everything went white and it kind of felt like I fainted for like one second but then came to immediately. 
all while on a call with opposing counsel. And I tried to speak, but it felt like I was unable to. Like, I couldn't get any coherent words out. And at the time, I thought that I had a stroke. I don't even think at that time I had even uttered the word anxiety. So I, so I started freaking out. And I was able to get out of my mouth that I would call the attorney back. And he was very, very understanding. Okay, so then I started freaking out and panicking. And I called my friend Natalie, and she took me to the emergency room because I really thought I had a stroke. And I was like, I have a daughter. I can't leave this unchecked. And I've heard of people having tiny strokes, so who knows? I remember my friend Natalie telling me, she's like, you never call for help. So when you called me, I knew I had to come. I was so fucking grateful for that. So I went to the emergency room, and the only treatment I was given was like an EKG. And I think that's for your heart. So I think they did an EKG on me, and everything was normal. No one at the hospital once mentioned mental health or anxiety or stress. And once I was out of the environment of my office, I started to feel better. But it was weird because it really felt like my speech was still affected, but I'm sitting in the hospital, starting to feel better, and then starting to feel like a fucking idiot for coming to the hospital. I was very, very anxious about the call I had to make. And when I went to the partner to ask for help, he told me to figure it out myself. Awesome. Thank you for your assistance. Yeah, she was a real dick. The first thing that I wrote for him was this report to an insurance carrier. I received no instructions on how to write the report, but I did my best, and I turned it into him, and then he brings it into my office, throws it on my desk, and then says, this looks like a 10th grader wrote this. I wanted to cry so bad, but my ass fought back those tears. Law is a male-dominated industry, and women have a stigma against them being emotional, unstable, or crazy. So there was no way I was giving this dude any of my tears and feeding into that stigma. One partner I worked for bragged to me about this time where he was in a contentious deposition with an opposing counsel who was female. Well, this partner's assistant, who was also female, was at the deposition and saw the female opposing counsel in the bathroom, and she apparently was getting a tampon or something. So she's on her period. Well, this partner's assistant tells the partner that the female opposing counsel was on her period. And the partner either goes to the store during lunch or has his assistant go to the store and get Midol. And when everyone reconvenes in the conference room, the partner takes out the Midol, pushes it across the table to the female opposing counsel in front of everyone just to embarrass her. Now he's telling me this story and laughing. And I don't know if y'all have ever worked in an office, but you got to get your boss to like you if you want a raise. So I'm like, ah, <laughs> give me a raise. But I'm really thinking, this is one vicious dude. The worst thing was that I knew on the very first day that I started working there that I would be leaving as soon as I could. There was another male associate who had worked there who had been there for three years. So in my mind, he was going to take over whenever this guy retired. Well, six months into me working at this office and the older associate left to go to another firm. So every single case that this dude has been working on got transferred to me. 
I had no idea what I was doing. I had held a license for a few months. I went through college, law school, and apparently still wrote like a 10th grader, but now I was getting every single fucking case. And now I was gonna be the person in charge of the majority of the cases, not to mention it was a huge red flag that the only other attorney in this small firm who had been there for three years was now making this change. And I didn't realize it at the time, but I figured it out quickly. When people get the opportunity to jump ship, they did. And that was back in 2015. Come to find out, he had been trying to leave for years. So that wasn't very encouraging. And the partner couldn't even fucking type. And that's pretty common among seasoned attorneys. They don't type. And they don't dictate. Not all seasoned attorneys, but it's more common than I thought it would be. And that was very shocking to learn when I started my career. This dude would close his door, turn off the lights, turn a movie on, and fall asleep in his office. Like, what the fuck? I stayed there a year and a half, and I figured out a lot of shit out on my own. I might have lost years off my life, but I fucking rose to the occasion. I developed litigation skills very early on in my career because I was forced to figure it out on my own. It almost killed me, but it didn't fucking kill me. And although at the time, I was telling myself that I needed to fake it till I made it. But the reality is, I was able to access something that was already inside of me. So I wasn't faking it. I had this revelation at a very low point. I remember it was last year and I was sitting outside to try and focus on the outdoors to pull me out of a panic attack. And at that time, the constant thought in my head was that I need peace, I need peace, I need peace. And what I meant was that I need peace within myself. I felt fucking chaotic. And all of a sudden when I was sitting outside, I just realized that in order for me to have inner peace, I needed to look inward. And everything I needed to achieve inner peace was already within me. I just needed to tap into it. So that day I decided to stop looking outwardly for peace and started looking inward for peace. I feel like at the time there was like a lot of toxic positivity stuff. Like if you tell yourself, you're happy, you're going to be happy. And I feel like that's the same sentiment as fake it till you make it. Now there are some cute little alternatives to fake it till you make it. Face it till you ace it. Be it till you see it. Learn it till you earn it. I don't know why my accent got worse on those. But those are cute. I guess the way I would put it is just find it. Find it. It's already in you. Find it. It's not as catchy, but I'll, I'll try and think of something. So that is my rich bitch tip of the week. Whatever you're searching for externally, look inward and find it inside of yourself. It is there already. Whatever you want to do, if you want to do well at your job, or if you just want to find inner peace, all you have to do is look within yourself. You're already equipped with the body. You're already equipped with the mind. You already got soul, but you just have to find it. And it's a lot easier to do with a therapist. I feel like that's what therapy is about. Just your therapist helps you realize things. Once you start discovering different things within yourself, you begin to learn how you respond to the world is how the world responds to you. That's some Frederick Nietzsche shit right there. Okay, I looked up how to say his name and apparently it's Nietzsche, but I don't think anyone would know who I was referencing if I said it correctly, because every time I've ever heard his name, it's Nietzsche. 
this is too much about me. I was watching a video for the Texas Bar and it dealt with attorney wellness and provided some very interesting but not surprising facts, which prompted my trip down memory lane. One not so great fact is the third leading cause of death among attorneys is suicide. And it's only behind cancer and heart disease. Attorneys deal with a lot, y'all. And the game has changed. It's now a 24-7 job. It's not uncommon to get emails from people at 2 in the morning. And back in the day, people communicated by letter writing and phone calls. And there was a lot more lead time in each task to get other shit done. And that ain't the case now. Also, attorneys are trained to spot issues. And when you're trained to spot issues 24 fucking 7, that can bleed into your personal life. And there's no one to teach you how to not let it bleed into your personal life. And there's no one there to teach you how to deal with this increased stress and anxiety. Let's take a break from my bullshit and let me introduce y'all to Lydia. Something that has really brought me a lot of peace is my glorious cat, Lydia. My daughter would disagree with the characterization that Lydia is my cat because we actually got Lydia for Madison. But she's in college now and obviously can't have cats in the dorm. And it's just been me and Lydia, basically, in every temporary residence since April while my daughter was at summer camp. So obviously me and Lydia have a very special bond. We got Lydia back in 2020 from Zeus's place in New Orleans. My daughter really wanted a long-haired cat, and she actually had a different cat picked out from a different shelter. But when we went to visit that cat, it wasn't interested in us at all. It was like, fuck y'all. I don't want to hang out with y'all. And it wouldn't even let us hold it. So I was looking on Zeus's website one day and came across a photo of an adorable long-haired kitten named Lydia. We went to Zeus's place to see Lydia and the people working go in the back and bring Lydia out. And what arrives in front of us is a scrawny, short-haired kitten. We were told that she had ringworm all over her body and all of her hair had fallen out and that there was actually no guarantee that it would grow back. But the reason we chose Lydia is because right when Madison held her, Lydia just stayed there. She seemed very calm, very relaxed, and I truly feel like she and Madison had an instant bond. And what do you know, years later, this bitch's hair grew out, and now she's a regal, opulent queen. And she's also my emotional support animal, legitimately. And last year, when I was having a really bad panic attack, she just came up to me and started, like, nudging me and, like, snuggling me. And it was really, like, really shocking to me that she seemed to be comforting me so much. And it really pulled me out of the panic attack. I need some serious help, y'all. I need to determine whether I should switch from Spotify to Apple Music. I've been a loyal Spotify user since I was in college, but lately I have not been very happy with my service, and I'm considering switching to Apple. So if anyone wants to give me their advice on which streaming service is better, please text me at 504-224-9919. All right, so the new season of Potomac started, and I feel bad for Robin. It feels obvious to all the ladies that Robin is making excuses for Juan. How would y'all feel if your man told you that some random girl contacted him on Instagram to pay for her hotel room and then he proceeds to pay for her hotel room because she didn't have some money for some reason? Like, come on, dude. Who are you fooling? Well, apparently Robin because she believed him. But I think that it came out later that he actually did cheat on Robin. I think with this girl... The hotel casino bitch. And Juan lied to Robin and then she went on Watch What Happens Live and like defended the fuck out of him and he made her look like a total fucking fool. And she's not a fool. I feel for her. She will see it. She will see it in her own time. 
I'm going to have to get health insurance soon. Well, my divorce will be final soon enough. And when that happens, I'm going to have to get off my ex's health insurance policy and get my own. I mean, I've been paying for it, but I still have to get a, a new plan. Getting divorced during open enrollment is fun. I won't even need a qualifying event to get health insurance. And I started looking at options for health insurance. And I'm not satisfied. I'm not satisfied with the insurance system. I'm not satisfied with the healthcare system. What are we doing about that? I'm really, really, really close to getting one of those pre-Nuvo pre scans. A full comprehensive exam is like $2,000. And that's the same amount I had to pay out of pocket for my hip physical therapy after insurance paid a lot. And my hip still fucking hurts. I'm beginning to fit in with my elderly neighbors. I get up at 4 a.m. I try to eat soft food so I don't chip a tooth. I always need a sweater. I got bad knees. I've had two ACL surgeries. Well, one right, one left. I had AC I had my left ACL surgery when I was in eighth grade, and I had my right ACL surgery when I was a senior in high school. And then in between that, I had a fucking baby. I believe both ACLs were torn playing soccer. I know the right ACL was definitely from soccer. And while I did injure my left knee in a soccer game in eighth grade, which prompted me to go to the doctor, I'm pretty sure I tore my ACL a different way that I've never told anyone about ever. And the person in the story is no longer alive, which is kind of crazy. A constant theme in my life seems to be internalizing basically everything and never telling anybody anything for fear of a bad reaction. And I'm not sure if I've told anybody this, but here it goes. Anyways, so I was in eighth grade. I was hanging out with a group of friends, boys and girls, and it was nighttime, and we were walking to a park. And there was a swing set at the park, you know, like a jungle gym, a swing set, whatever. And I recall I went to the swing set, and I just started fucking swinging on the swings. Can I just say, I'm an adult, and I fucking love a swing set. Oh my god, I just had a flashback. Okay. I would say the lowest point for me last year was May, May, May 2022. I was in Mississippi for a deposition, and I was at a very, very, very low point. And I really didn't know what to do, but I knew I couldn't stay in my hotel room. So I just started walking around the cute little town, and I came across this park, and there was a swing set in it. And I was looking for anything that would make me feel better, and so I decided to get on the swing set and just fucking swing to try and make myself feel better. And it worked. I love a swing set. So, I'm in eighth grade. And I'm at this park at night and I'm swinging on a swing set. And I'm gaining momentum and I'm swinging higher and higher. And I'm feeling the wind rush past me and it feels so liberating and so freeing. And all of a sudden, this guy who was in the friend group hanging out around the park with everybody is standing near the swing set where I'm swinging. And when I am in the air, he just pushes me to the side while I'm swinging. And so then my swing starts going out at angle, but I'm swinging very high. So when I go backwards, my left leg ends up wrapping around the swing set pole and I feel a very sharp, intense pain. Obviously I stopped swinging and I started to make my way down. I can't even remember if I was crying or not. I'm pretty sure I was not crying because I did not want to cry in front of anyone. And I think I was even trying to make my sobs sound like laughter. I'm pretty sure I tried to just laugh it off, but literally felt the worst pain in my left knee. And the very next day, I was in a lot of pain, but I never told anybody. 
and I think I had a soccer game that upcoming weekend and really early into the game whenever I went up to challenge somebody for the ball I planted my foot and I just collapsed I feel bad for myself when I think about how afraid I was to stand up for myself but I will say I do have my redeeming moments where who I am at my core comes through should I tell another story about me I feel like this episode has been very Lindsay heavy and I don't get a lot of feedback, but people have asked to hear more personal stories. And I guess since this is the 10th episode of the fucking Rich Room, I'll tell y'all one more. And I am a badass in the story, so I'll just go ahead and say that. There are holes though. I do not remember everything and I think it's cause it was pretty dramatic. So this is a story about a girl named Lucky. <laughs> just kidding. Love you, Britney Spears. This is a story about how I almost got kicked out of Cotillion. What is Cotillion? I don't honestly fucking know. Well, it's a high school social club, basically. Now, my daughter was born in July 2005, and we lived on the Mississippi Gulf Coast at the time with my mom and brother. And anyone in that region will tell you, in August 2005, Hurricane Katrina hit and was one of the worst natural disasters ever. So we evacuated for Hurricane Katrina, and my daughter was like six weeks old at the time. So that was stressful. I think we all went back to school in October of that year. And at the time, I had a three-month-old, and no one knew. So I told my friends at that time, and then I just told them to tell everybody else. And it spread like fucking wildfire. Well, somewhere in that junior year, there was Cotillion. Now, I don't know what conversations went on when the upperclassmen were deciding whether or not to let me in this club and shit, but they did. And the next year of Cotillion, I was elected vice president. Now, I can't remember exactly how all of this went down, and mainly because I wasn't included in any of it, and it was all done behind my back. But one day, a friend of mine, who was also in Cotillion and also lived on my street, came to me and said that she received like a piece of paper in her mailbox or a letter or something asking whether she believed that I should still serve as the vice president. And I, I think there were two questions. I think it said, one, do you want her to serve Lindsay to serve as vice president? And two, do you think Lindsay should be kicked out of the club? I'm pretty sure that's what it said. Man, this is a fucked up shit. I've never really talked about this. And I remember calling the president because this was the first I'd ever heard that people didn't want me in the club or people didn't want me to be vice president. Because I had just been elected vice president by these same people. So it didn't make any sense. Now that I'm thinking about it as an adult, it makes me wonder why these people even cared if I was in some fucking social club in high school. And the crazy thing here is that Mississippi is a very pro-birth state. So I'm thinking to myself, if I'd have had an abortion, I would have been allowed into this club. But that didn't make sense to me. It was like I was being punished for choosing to have my daughter. And the worst part about this is I thought I was really good friends with all of these people. And I may not have even processed this as an adult, what that actually felt like for my 17-year-old self to have my friends and their parents single me out. I wish they would have just come to me instead. But the reality is, they had no legitimate reason to kick me out of this club. 
because this club had bylaws, and I read the bylaws, and there wasn't shit in the bylaws saying you can't be in the club or you can't serve as president of the club if you have a baby. So I called the president, who is now my former friend, and I told her, you have no legitimate reason to kick me out or remove me as vice president. This is some dramatic shit for 17-year-olds, I gotta say. And after that, there was a meeting with me, my mom, and some other parents from the Cotillion Club. I would say like 10 other parents, but I don't remember. It was 10 other moms, I should say. It was, it was only moms, no dudes. And I can't remember what was said at that meeting. But I remember no one was talking about the real issue, which I thought the real issue was me having a baby and them trying to decide if they want me in the club or not. But the one thing I remember about that meeting was a certain mom raising her hand after about five or ten minutes, uh, I guess avoiding the elephant in the room, and she was like, what are we even talking about? What are we even doing here? I thought we were coming here for a very different reason. I don't know if it's like they lost their nerve or something, or maybe they realized there wasn't a legit reason to push me out. I really don't know. I can't, and I don't remember. Maybe talking about this will bring back some memories. I haven't ever really talked about this. And I definitely try to avoid thinking about it. But now I'm going in, so it might jog my memory. But I do remember the next cotillion meeting. I can't remember if we had monthly meetings or if it was just like one per semester. I don't remember. But I'll never forget this meeting. So, bitches realized it wasn't that easy to get rid of me. And like a side note, why would you want to get rid of me? I'm fucking lovely. I'm funny as shit. I was funny as shit back then. Real dark sense of humor. I'm a good time gal. So we have this meeting. And mind you, I'm walking into this meeting knowing that everyone in that room except me knew about a plan or really devised a plan or was asked about some plan to kick me out of this social club in high school. I remember feeling nervous, but also like eerily calm. I knew, even my 17 year old mind, I knew it would be me against everyone else in that room. Parents and high school students. And I don't remember what my mom was, but it was a legitimate reason she wasn't there and it was probably because she was taking care of my baby. I should have brought the baby to the fucking meeting. So, I walked into that room, head held high, shoulders back, and I took my seat at the front of the room next to the fucking president. And I don't remember if I was made aware of this beforehand, but I wasn't surprised that someone wanted to introduce a new rule that said, you guessed it, you can't be in cotillion if you have a baby. And guess who was the only one in the room with the baby? So being a good organized club that Cotillion is, it had bylaws, which included a process for introducing and ratifying new rules. Cue Dua Lipa's new rule. I recall a parent referencing the new rule and saying that one of the members needs to read it out loud on the record before the club votes on it. And she was like, okay, Someone needs to read this out loud. Who wants to read this out loud on the record? No one said anything. And then I raised my hand and I said, I'll read it. 
You didn't see that coming, did you? I bet that really threw a wrench into things. What could she do at that point, right? It's not like she could say in front of the entire club, no, Lindsay, you can't read this because this is about you. I feel like she had a piece of paper in her hand and I, I feel like I got up and walked over there like real slowly and intentionally, got the piece of paper out of her hand and then also walked slowly back to my seat at the front of the room. And then I looked at the faces of all these girls who I'd grown up with, most of them since sixth grade, and some of them I'd known since I was in kindergarten, about to vote on whether or not someone like me should be allowed into this fucking social club. So I took the piece of paper and I started reading exactly what the proposed rule stated. Now, I obviously don't remember what it said verbatim, but it said something to the effect of, you cannot be a member of Cotillion if you have a baby or if you are married. Then it was time for the vote. And we didn't vote by paper. We voted by a show of hands. So, all in for the new role? More people raised their hand than I was expecting, but it took some fucking balls or it took some fucking cojones to vote for this rule when I'm sitting right in front of you, like literally you have to look me in the eyes and vote against me. All of those against the new role. I raise my hand, obviously. And then I watch as the majority of the girls in the room vote against this new rule, meaning I could stay in the club and I could stay on as vice president. And I'm very grateful to those girls who voted in my favor. But it was fucking awkward after that, I have to say. And the new rule did pass the following year after I graduated and gone to college, but not on my watch. I'm looking back, I was very, very proud of the 17-year-old who went into that classroom, which was located inside of a church, I might add, and stood up for herself against her peers and against their parents. Damn, that was wild. And quite frankly, I came out on top. My daughter is fantastic. We are best friends. And I love how close we are. Kids are great, but they really keep you humble, huh? It's never a good sign when someone asks you if you did something different with your face when you haven't done anything different at all. Two weeks ago, my daughter was over at my house and she so casually asked me, did you do something different with your eyebrows? They look really bold. And I had not done anything different per se with my eyebrows. I just did a sloppy work on my eyebrow makeup. And last week, my sister wrote me and was like, your eyebrows look really good. And I told her that I took extra special time on my eyebrows giving my daughter's humbling compliments. Have y'all seen the Golden Bachelor trailer? It is actually giving me a lot of hope. Now, I've never been a Bachelor fan. I might have watched the first few seasons. But I have seen some of the Golden Bachelor commercials. And let me just say, this seems wholesome as fuck. And also, it gives me like a lot of hope to finding love in the future. And like that it doesn't all have to be figured out right now. I might have to start watching it. Maybe I can make some golden friends in my neighborhood. And we can all watch the Golden Bachelor together. And then maybe we can all watch the Golden Girls. I love gold! That's from Austin Powers. Y'all, thank you so much for listening to episode 10 of The Rich Room. 
Text me with your comments, questions, and critiques at 504-224-9919. Follow me at Lindsay underscore Sobel and also follow at The Rich Room Podcast. Leave us five stars everywhere you can. Actually, leave us ten. A fucking tan! Bye. Bye. <laughs>